the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hi, it's Hugh Hewitt. Welcome to the interview with Hugh Hewitt, sponsored by AndrewandTodd.com. Andrew and Todd are with Sierra Pacific Mortgage. They help you with all your real estate lending needs. If you're refinancing your home, if you're buying a new home, if you're a senior who wants a reverse mortgage, if you're a veteran who doesn't want to put any money down, whatever it is, if you're in the private real estate market for yourself, and maybe you want an investment property, try AndrewandTodd.com or call 888-888-1172. Now on to the interview with Hugh Hewitt. Glory, America. Bonjour. Hi, Canada. On July 12th, a Monday, I'm Hugh Hewitt inside the Beltway, joined now by Jonah Goldberg of the Dispatch. Good morning, Jonah. Morning, Hugh. I have spent uh, yesterday getting ready to talk to you about critical race theory, the Republican Party, all that stuff. And then yesterday afternoon, uh, one of those moments arrives, you kind of turn your attention to the place where freedom is on the edge, and you look at Cuba, and I've done nothing but talk about Cuba all morning long, so I'm going to do the same with you. I've had callers all across the country say they'll applaud Biden if he does the right thing. What is the right thing right now? Well, I mean, I, I think it is early to know what this is, you know, beyond a hopeful green shoot. Um, you know, I was planning on doing a deep dive later today on a lot of this stuff and making calls about it, but it seems to me that Right now, I mean, if we're just going to be pragmatic and granular, the right thing to do is very little until you figure out what's going on, what are the facts on the ground, other, <clears throat> other than, excuse me, warning the Cuban government in, in maybe stronger terms than Biden already has, that uh, we will look quite askance at violence. And so will, you know, a lot of your trading partners in Europe, um, if you try to tee them in your way out of this. Um, but ultimately, look, I'm, I'm one of these people that if, if you can expand freedom and, and str- shrink tyranny with little cost and blood or treasure to the United States, you always should try. And you should always press the envelope where you can, when you can. It doesn't mean always sending troops in anywhere. But um, I'm someone who thinks freedom and democracy are ends, not just means. And uh, bringing freedom to the Cuban people would be just a fantastic, fantastic thing. Now, I think the... The obvious thing to do if you're Joe Biden, there really isn't any downside, is to go to Miami in the way that Reagan went to Berlin, in the way that not, you know, do the opposite of Obama when he was in his first year of power and the Green Movement took over in Tehran, took to the streets before it was massacred and arrested. But go to Miami and give the speech you just said. We are we are for a free Cuba. We will send aid. We will welcome people. We will help. Do not. We're keeping a list and we're checking it twice of everyone who uses violence. That's not too much to ask, is it? No, I think it's a great idea. Miami is a good good choice for a place to do it. Um, I don't know how relations are between Rubio's office and uh, and the White House are, but it would not be dumb as if, if old politics rules apply at all anymore to try and coordinate with, with Rubio and DeSantis, for that matter, and make – Try to make this a unified front message because there are a lot of people out in the world who think we can't get the parties to agree on anything. And it's, I think it's good for both parties to say, 
you know, this is something that that Americans believe in, regardless of party, is, is that that tyranny is bad and democracy and freedom and liberty are good. And I think it would be great. Now, the the precedent for that is pretty deep. If you, it, I mean, it's pretty far away. It's Henry Jackson and Richard Nixon on Jews in the Soviet Union. Right. It's we have not done a bipartisan foreign policy since the Contras uh, broke us apart in terms of how to do this. And uh, it used to be that Democrats were with Republicans on Cuba, and the polarization of the parties may have taken us too far apart. But I'm thinking Joe Biden probably has muscle memory of free Cuba movements, uh, Jonah Goldberg. I don't know. I tried to research it, and I know the left wing of the Democratic Party has been in love with the idea of Cuban socialism for a long time. But I don't think Biden was part of that. He, he was on foreign relations forever, right? He, he knows this That's issue. Right. Yeah, no, that's right. And uh, the muscle memory is probably more instructive and more helpful to him than trying to figure out what he thinks right now about all this stuff. Because if he just remembers having to deal with people like Sam Nunn and, you know, and Scoop Jackson and all those guys, then that memory would serve him better than taking the temperature of Nancy Pelosi or the House caucus. It would certainly serve America better if he just went on a nostalgic kick oh, this is my opportunity to be in favor of freedom. Um, but, you know, it's an interesting question. I hadn't thought about it in those terms when you say there hasn't been bipartisan foreign policy since um, the Contras. Did you mean about Latin America or in general? Because it seems in to general. Me like Afghanistan. In, Afghanistan was for a brief shining moment, and the war on terror even for a brief shining moment, relatively bipartisan, but it, it absolutely did fall apart too. But It became um, politicized in the rearview mirror. You are right. Yeah. At the time of the invasion, there was unanimity. That was perhaps a, a brief shining moment of unanimity. But during the 60s and into the early 70s, and Nixon was probably applauded by everyone. He went to China. But it is a Nixon to China opportunity for Biden. And I think when he was a Democrat, when he ran, when he was young Democrat, the idea of being in favor of Fidel and Shea was a campus deal. Now, I, I did some research this morning and I found a uh, an article from The Hill um, in March of this year where Representative Jim McGovern, who I've known forever, Jim is my age, he's been around forever on the left side, Boston guy, we're friends with, uh, you know, I, I say hello to him whenever I see him. I mean, he's just a, a war horse of the Democratic political establishment, chairman of rules. He was quoted in the Hill as saying the last two years of the Obama administration saw an explosion of positive change in Cuba. The fledgling Cuban private sector flourished. Innovation, the Internet, communications and political space expanded and exchanges between our two people multiplied. Dialogues began in tough topics like economic reform and human rights. Uh, he is a longtime proponent of Cuban normalization. Let's not make the mistake of moving slowly and incrementally, he said of the Biden team. We need to act now. Biden has not done that. I, I, again, I think Biden's instincts are the right instincts here if they are encouraged and nourished. And the Jim McGoverns and maybe the AOCs, I haven't seen her do anything. They can't drive this bus. No, I, I think that's right. I think the, the worst that's, that's sort of what I was what I meant about going with his muscle memory. If he actually tries to put it the problem with Biden has always been. And I'm sure we've probably talked about this before. He was never a centrist Democrat. He was a centrist within the context of the Democratic Party. He always played the bay, you know, the sort of left wingers 
against the right wing Democrats, not the centrist, you know, not not liberal Republicans, but people like Sam Nunn and those guys. <laughs> and so it, the problem is, is you're tacking between if you're trying to play the center of gravity of the Democratic Party, you're going to move leftward because the center of gravity of the Democratic Party has moved so far left, left in the last 10 years. And it'd be better if he just went with his sort of the, the sort of the same muscle memory he has about bipartisanship and bipartisan deals. If he just went with his gut instincts about that stuff and spoke about American principles, American values, and and just forced the base to go along with it, because I don't know that it's in anyone's interest in the base to get too vocal in favor of the Cuban regime if it starts beating up people's ch- chanting for freedom. Yeah, I did. Uh, the, the hashtags are Cuba Libre, Cuba, and Cuba SOS. And I, I ran through them all. Marco Rubio has been out there, very, very aggressive. Ron DeSantis, Tom Cotton, Mike Pompeo. I don't want it to be political. I think that actually a lot of the audience listening doesn't even remember 1989. Probably 25% of the people don't understand the speed with which a totalitarian government can fall apart, Jonah. And I, I don't know where you were in 89. Uh, I'd gone back to California after the conclusion of the Reagan administration, but I stayed up all night. Watch, I just astonished at how it it can happen in the blink of an eye if enough they can overwhelm a police state. No, I think that's right. I, I think, and I, I was in college for '89, and um, I was actually in Eastern Europe for the actual true dissolution of the of the Soviet Union in the Yeltsin uh, triumph. But, um, you know, I think the way to think about communist regimes is that they're a lot like marble. Marble is incredibly strong, but it's also incredibly brittle. And once it starts to crack, it cracks really fast because there's no give to it. There's no one of the things about liberal democracies is they can bend a lot without breaking. Communist regimes cannot bend very well. Um, And so if they get just enough pressure, just enough sort of Archimedean levers from below, you can topple the whole thing, and we should do everything we can within reason, reason and prudence, to see that that happens. I just I don't understand people who sincerely think that we should try to avoid Cuba becoming a, a, a democratic country, even if it ends up being anti-American. I'd rather an anti-American democracy with with civil liberties and the right to 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 leave and to exit. I'd rather that ninety miles offshore than a country that is basically, you know, I mean, forget all the Marxist and socialist jargon. It's an organized crime, you know, uh, family, which is what most of the communist regimes boil down to ultimately. And these people waited long enough for freedom and they should have it. Now, that that is the best way to understand it. There's a new uh, Don Corleone. His name is Miguel Diaz-Canel. And there's a bit of irony in this because there's a lot of Cuba in Godfather, too, right? Uh, that's why Hyman right. Roth, it, 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 there's a lot of irony in calling it a godfather state because it was a godfather state under Batista. But it doesn't have to be in this new fellow, Miguel Diaz-Canel. I, I just don't know anything about him. But if Raul Castro gave him the reins, there are probably hundreds of thousands of people whose livelihood depends upon hanging on to power. But nobody is as deep as Stasi, Right, Jonah? That, that doesn't mean you don't try. People don't. It was so astonishing that that Stasi fell uh, and Ceausescu fell. They were killers. Yeah. Uh, so eventually, the Cuban people, if if the United States is really, really adamant and not political about it, and I think it's such a mistake uh, 
if Republicans politicize, I've, I've been taking calls all morning on this, trying to put the message. Hey, if everybody give Joe Biden a standing O if he goes to Miami and and speaks truth to the Cuban leadership, everybody give him a standing O. That will not be what Obama did in 2009 vis-a-vis Tehran. And, you know, I'm looking for media to put pressure on AOC. Menendez will do right. Senator Menendez, chair of the Foreign yeah, Relations yeah. Committee. But AOC has got a choice to make now, as does Bernie, as does every old lefty, but Biden particularly. Yeah. And, you know, look, I mean, also Biden, if, if Biden does right, by, I mean, not to reduce this to cold, crass things. Again, I'm an idealist about this, but the margin of victory for Donald Trump in Florida was largely these Cubans and Venezuelans who yes. have living memory of communism and they voted Republican because they didn't have trust in the Democratic Party to be tough on communism. This is a it's sort of a political no brainer. If you're just looking at the electoral map um, for Biden to do the right thing. Um, and also uh, your point about like the Stasi. I mean, the thing, if I were a member of the Cuban secret police, the place I would look at is are places like Russia, where if, if the thing about the secret police types is they're brutal, but they're also survivors and they go, they want to be on the right side of events. And if, if you could see a tipping point where sort of the regular army of Cuba refused to, to open fire or turn on the, the protesters, you could see those Cuban secret police types saying, all right, I see which way the wind is blowing and switch sides. And if we have any intelligence operations in Cuba worth a damn, we should be sending signals to those kinds of people saying, hey, look, if you go the right way on this, we'll, we'll get you out of there. We'll give you a nice home somewhere, you know, bribe people where we can bribe them. We got money to bribe people. And the one thing we know about amoral, you know, uh, soulless murderers is they can be bribed. And we should do everything we can to push this as best as possible without it blowing up in our face. It is a better operated police state than Papa Doc Duvalier and Baby Doc. But when they left, they went to villas in France, right? And so the villa yeah. in France option is always there, and they can go to Miami if they and, want. And, and it's not that expensive. Idi Amin went to uh, Saudi Arabia. And right. If I, I've got to say, though, if I were a Castroite secret police guy, I wouldn't want to go to Miami huh, true. because there are people there with memories of those dudes. I would, I would, I'd take the south of France in a heartbeat over, over Miami if I were one of those guys. Now, their military is significantly better than either the military of um, Uganda or the military of Haiti. It's a it's a very you are, again, in college when I am in the Reagan administration and there are Cubans all over Africa and they are sure. fighting with uh, the anti the anti freedom regime. So they, they have capability. And when it came push came to shove in Venezuela. Their mobsters are in Venezuela. They're keeping Maduro in power because that's a, a drug importation point, right? It is. I'm glad you brought It's a cartel. It's not really a police state, except it's a cartel with the remnants of a police state. No, that's right. And, and, and this is sort of the way to think about North Korea as well. It's basically an organized crime operation with some really weird, magical thinking about the divinity of the godfather. And this is what a lot of these things boil down to. In Venezuela, one of the great populist sources of anti-regime anger is how just what bastards the Cubans in Venezuela are. Because they're basically, they're sort of like Napoleon's armies in the, across the Rhine. 
uh, they're so bitterly resented as these foreign aristocrats bossing everybody around and having power over the people. And I have to assume that that's how, you know, at least the elite Cuban military in Cuba is regarded by a lot of the, you know, everyday people. Now, let's talk for a moment about the American media, Jonah, uh, and then the Republican Party. I know what the Democrats should do. They have all the power. They could hold hearings. They can go down there en masse. Ron DeSantis did an event with Joe Biden last week. They can stage the same thing and have Rubio and Scott come and all the Florida Congress people come. And there are a couple of Democrats down there, mostly Republican. Everybody can be on the same thing. But now the American media has a a choice right now. We can cover England, Italy all day long. That was a good story. We can cover the Wall Street Journal scoop on the Navy. We can cover Richard Branson not going to space, which is a weird story. I was prepared for everything with you. And we could do another week of critical race theory. All those stories (laughs) will will wait. Right. They can turn Mm -hmm. everything. And this is not a hard story to cover. No, I, I think that's right. Um, and, you know, I have to say the New York Times story seems, you know, I read it very quickly last night, but it seemed pretty good. Um, it should have much more coverage on, you know, the cable networks. I haven't seen much of it, but I haven't I haven't been looking for it. It's been developing pretty fast. But, yeah, this, this the problem is, is that you have a lot of the media is just simply run by people who have going back to their college days, this nostalgic notion that somehow Cuba is this moral counterweight the United States. And it was garbage back in the Cold War. It's even more garbage now. I mean, why you, you know, why you think that like Cuba, I mean, one of the reasons why these people are protesting so much is because how badly the socialist government has handled the pandemic there. And you would think um, that alone, you know, would open up some eyes to the propaganda about how, you know, Castro or Cuba always had this fantastic health service and this great, you know, this great hospital system and all these kinds of things. Well, if that's the case, why why are people literally taking to the streets and risking their lives because they're so fed up with how badly the government has handled the pandemic? Just cover it like it's a normal country would be a great step forward rather than treating it as if it's, you know, you know, it's the sort of Latin America, Latin American Sweden that provides this alternative model to the United States and all that garbage. You know, I, I don't know, but I would predict that if India ran out of oxygen tanks, Cuba is running out of oxygen tanks. And I would predict that if Peru and Brazil cannot contain the virus, then Cuba cannot contain the virus. Now, I look at the New York Times landing page as we speak live. Haitian officials say Americans held an assassination was seeking power. The mystery deepens. Why were Colombian military bets in doing in Cuba? Those are the two lead stories. You have to go past the rationing of a last resort COVID treatment. Despite outbreaks among unvaccinated Fox News hosts smear shots, you have to go down to migrant workers in South Asia, lost jobs and slow immunization of red tape. EPA approved toxic chemicals for fracking a decade ago. More power lines or rooftop solar panels question. Florida, the lamb of gleaning condos after the collapse. Facebook wants to be creators. Silicon Valley investors are. And then you find a long way down. Cubans denounce misery in biggest protests in decades. So. Okay, they got a story. This is not the way. I mean, it isn't it bigger than Haiti? Um, yeah, the, the Haiti one is the only one there that I can kind of forgive, just in the sense that it's still kind of a mystery how this, how and why a, the president of a country was assassinated. I mean, that that still that needs reporting. But the rest of that stuff, I mean, Cuba should be up there. I mean, again, I don't. 
I, I need more information about how big and how how much popular support there is for these protests. But it definitely should be the kind of thing that just grabs everybody's attention. And yeah, 14 I, just, cities. I wish I could say I was shocked that it's not. You know? Yeah, 14 cities. I'll bet you most Americans do not know the name Miguel Diaz-Canel, because I've never heard it pronounced. I, I'm guessing at the pronunciation. All right. They don't know that Raul's gone and this guy's been the general secretary and the president of Cuba for four months. So he's a rookie. Right. He's a new kid. The generals are around there. It's a it's a critical moment. So I can't hold myself out as I've been covering Cuba in microscopic depth. But I know what we ought to do. And the, and now onto the Republican Party, a lot of my callers and I I corrected them all want to predict failure by the Democrats here. They want to say Joe's not up to the job. They want to say AOC won't let him. That's all wrong. That's not the way to play it. Am I right, Jonah? Absolutely. I mean, I remember getting blowback early in the Obama administration when uh, they, they took out the Navy SEALs, took out those pirates, you know, from the yes. Captain Phillips story. And I remember talking to Bill Bennett at the time and saying, look, it's, I'm in favor of the U.S. military freeing American hostages and killing pirates, regardless of who's in the White House. And that's I mean, there are certain things that should be nonpartisan or bipartisan issues. And this really should be one. I mean, I think we can both understand why, as a matter of political analysis, why it might not be. But the the need to sort of, if they're for it, we're against it. If it's a win for them, it's a loss for us. That zero-sum thinking is one of the reasons why our politics are so stupid right now. And I agree. And that is not what this is. And, and And I can say that quite confidently, that the Republican Party is deeply and legitimately anti-Castro and its successor regime. The Democrats were once the same way. Both parties can be that without a political uh, loss to the Republicans. It's not zero sum on this. This is freedom is never zero sum. So if our people hold their fire for just four or five days, we'll know in four or five days. You know, I, I hope that they had a situation room meeting last night. If there are demonstrations in 14 cities, according to one of the reports, I, read, I think it was Financial Times, we got lots of Britons and Germans. We got lots of people are there. It's not like it's closed to Europe. There are lots of Europeans there. We ought to be able to hold political fire until we see how it develops. I agree entirely. And, you know, on the, on the point of this guy, Canal, only being in there for four months, that's kind of the kind of person that you want in there when this kind of thing happens, because they don't have the long lasting personal loyalties of a big chunk of the regime. Uh, can you remember the name of the guy who was the last head of East Germany? Well, uh, Egon Krenz. Oh, that's right. He replaced the, the other guy. Um, yeah, that's right. Like there for like 15 minutes or something yeah. like that. And those guys, if you know, if you're still Honaker, the Honaker, is, I, I was going to say Honaker, but right. Honaker, but that's not Honaker. That's right. That's right. It was. Egon Krenz, I'm, I'm 95% sure, was like the last guy to be in charge of East Germany when people were just, you know, heading for the doors. And you want you want someone green behind the ears. You want someone who, uh, you know, might overplay their hand, but in ways that, that, that make them fall on their face, that haven't installed loyalists everywhere yet. Um, so we should just be pressing the envelope everywhere we can. Yeah, he might not be a Bakhtiar. But he, he, you know, there are opportunities for newbies to try and get on the right side of history. Sadat did that, you know, um, 
Yep. So that, so that played hardball and then he played softball. So I want to go back to suicide of the West because I don't remember, Jonah. You had the big man. You know, how does how do governments begin? They begin with a big man locally. Cuba's gone right. the whole arc from ideological uh, ballet to uh, the, the thousand hour speeches by Fidel to just a rogue police state to being an expeditionary force once, now twice. It's done everything my entire life. A new guy is vulnerable if we just kill him with kindness, too. And I mean, we we ought to just flood the place. A uh, hundred billion for Cuba, a, a Cuban Marshall Plan if they open up. Yeah, I, I think, that, again, I, I, there's, there's, there's nothing, if you don't want to send troops somewhere, there's nothing immoral or, or illegitimate about just bribing your way to the foreign policy victory that you want. You know, it's, it's cheaper in, in all the meaningful ways and in literal ways. And, um, and it can be faster and just, just do a leveraged buyout of Cuba, um, and figure out what the transition there looks like. That would be great. But again, we could be getting way ahead of ourselves. I, I, I saw some images on, on the web last night about them deploying, heavily armed soldiers onto the streets, which, you know, for a country that no one has their own guns was, was pretty disturbing. And um, I, I just, I, I, I would hope that we aren't in like in two weeks or three weeks looking back on, on this day and saying, Hey, remember where like for five minutes, it looked like there was going to be something really great happening in Cuba. And then it didn't happen. Yeah. It is a uh, moment would, of, of genuine courage for people. It took genuine courage to go to the streets yesterday. I can't blame people if they stay home. I don't know what I would do in this situation. You hope you'd have the courage to go out. The only the only chance, one minute, Jonah, the only chance is if everybody turns out, everybody, man, that they don't fire on their own people. And they, as you said, that the Cuban government doesn't go Tiananmen. Yeah. And, and if the army, the regular army, you know, not the elite, you know, SS type forces, but just the regular army refuses to, you know, crack down on its own people and switch aside. You could see some sort of junta come out of this for a little while. And let's be honest, a junta would be a a, a sort of generic authoritarian junta as a transition, a Pino style transition or Franco style transition to democracy would be preferable than the status quo. Hundred percent, hundred percent. All right, Jonah, we'll, we'll track it. We'll come back and talk CRT another time. Thank you for joining me on a, on a day that will be either very significant or an enormous disappointment. Jonah Goldberg of The Dispatch. Follow him on Twitter at Jonah Dispatch. That concludes today's episode of The Interview with Hugh Hewitt. Thank you for listening. Make sure you come back and check out all the other podcasts on the Salem Podcast Network. And remember to thank our sponsors, andrewandtodd.com. If you believe in long-form interviews like I do, then do your real estate transactions with Andrew Del Rey and Todd Avakian. I've known both men for a long time. andrewandtodd.com. Go there, answer a couple of questions. They'll tell you what's best to do with your house or call them at 888-888-1172. You'll be glad you did and you'll be glad that you listened to the next episode of The Interview.